I'm Father Mitch Pacwa, and welcome to EWTN Live, where we bring you guests from around the world. And tonight, we will talk about ways we can grow in holiness and firmness of our faith, regardless of our vocation in life, especially as we identify and challenge the real-world threats to the church, our faith in God, and our communities. First, we want to talk briefly with EWTN's Peter Gagnon about the upcoming season of Lent. Peter, what are you going to be doing for Lent, or what are you going to try to get us to do? <laughs> try to grow in holiness like okay. we're all supposed to, right? All right. Season. Well, then we'll see you well, next time. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but before that, actually, I want to talk about a, a program, that, a special program that we're airing this weekend. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the world knows what's going on in Ukraine and in Russia. Yeah. But we have a special program called To Believe that would, was actually produced by our um, EWTN Ukraine office. And uh, it's a very powerful story about a, um, the persecution of, of Catholics in Ukraine by um, the Russians um, in their 20th century. And uh, it deals with a, 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 a pastor of the parish. It's a true story based upon a pastor, Father Sebastian Sabruzinski, and, uh, and the families who are part of that parish. And um, it's, it's at times difficult to watch because it shows really what they went through and um, the difficulties. But it's a very powerful story. Mm -hmm. It's going to air Saturday at 10 p.m., Eastern time. Mm -hmm. It'll re-air again on Sunday at 10 p.m. Eastern and then in the overnight. So uh, that's a program I'd really like uh, people to tune in to watch. Um, yeah, I don't think folks have as much of a sense anymore of, you know, how many uh, people were killed in Soviet yeah. Union for their faith. Yeah. And in particular, the uh, Greek Catholics, the mm -hmm. Ukrainians, Ruthenians, yeah. uh, Russian Catholics, they were very much targeted, uh, with particular targeted. Yeah, absolutely. And this uh, this film really shows you what what they went through and suffered for their faith. Yeah. So, um, but then, yeah, obviously, with Lent beginning next week, uh, want people to know that we're going to be bringing the Holy Father's Mass um, of Ash Wednesday, being mm -hmm. on a Wednesday, and then when we kick off the season of Lent. Um, Besides the Mass, we're going to have special uh, programming. Lenten Reflections is a, a program that we hear every week from a different priest from, uh, that we shot those in Walsingham, okay. England. Mm -hmm. and, then, and then also, people should go to our website. It's um, EWTN.com forward slash Lent because on that site, we'll have all the programming information, but also special weekly reflections that Father Joseph gives, and, um, and also like daily reflections that we had that we shot a long time ago with Father Groeschel. Mm -hmm. So we have a lot of resources for people to, nice. to do their Lent. Um, we also have a really nice special called Reborn. Um, mm -hmm. It's gonna be airing um, next week as well. It's a, a docudrama that, that we produced, and it's basically a, a cinematic retelling of the uh, story of the prodigal son. And with an emphasis on um, on the sacraments of particularly of, of confession and kind of the joy of coming back to the Father. Mm -hmm. So and there's interviews and, and other reflections throughout, and that'll air um, on Wednesday at 3:30 p.m. Eastern, um, March 2nd as well. Mm -hmm. and then after Reborn, so March will also kick off. Um, our grid is going to change a little bit. We have several new series that we're going to be um, putting on the grid on a regular basis. One of them is uh, The Heresies, uh, hosted by Tim Moriarty. And uh, this is a program where they go, he goes through the heresies throughout the history, right? So mm -hmm. ba basically from Gnosticism to Arianism, 
all the way to modernism. And um, that'll kick off on our March grid beginning March 3rd. And it's a really well-produced program and help people really understand the heresies, both old and new, mm -hmm. and those that are still with us <laughs> today. You know, my Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. That's right. And it's amazing how a lot of the old heresies keep coming back. Yeah. Uh, I've been coming up against uh, Sabellian heresy. I don't know if they cover that or not, but it just keeps... It's, it's, yeah, we, we aired out a special and he, we're going to have uh, about 13 different episodes on it. So there's yeah. a lot of, of, of his heresies that we're going to cover. Yeah. Um, the other thing we're doing is we're bringing back the Catholic sphere. Uh, remember Brian Patrick hosted yes. it and he retired. So we're reformatting it um, with, uh, we're going to have a variety of different hosts. So Doug Cack will host um, one week and, and Jack Williams will host another week. Mm -hmm. And um, it'll be a good opportunity to, to cover different topics, you know, um, uh, Father Joseph will also host. He'll kind of bring in kind of the church universal feel. So uh, the first ones, they'll, they'll be back. It's beginning March 3rd, and that will air on Tuesdays at 6.30 p.m. and Wednesdays in the overnights. So uh, check out Catholic Sphere. Then finally, um, the last one I want to highlight is Explore with the Miracle Hunter. We've been airing specials, mm -hmm. various ones, um, throughout the last year or so. Mm -hmm. And um, now we're going to give it a weekly slot. So it'll, we'll cover everything from Lourdes to Lanciano to Miracles in Paris and um, in New Orleans. So it highlights um, basically the, the supernatural aspects of, of our church throughout the ages. So it's really a great program as well. It has both interviews, commentary, and, and um, re-reenactments re re of uh, a lot of the okay. miracles. And so that will air beginning March 5th on uh, Wednesdays at 6.30 a.m. and Saturdays at 6 p.m. So EWTN.com forward slash TV, and you can actually find series information there, specials information, so that's a good resource to go to. And can you go to EW10.com forward slash Lent? Yes, that's that's for any Lenten information. And then the other one and is for... And the other for one is for... Everything um, else. For TV information for everything else. So. Cool. All right. All right. Thank you. We'll be back in a couple of minutes uh, with tonight's guest, so please stay with us. Welcome back. Our guest tonight has been a priest with the Fathers of Mercy for 31 years, which is a pretty good start. But before that, he was an officer in the U.S. Army. He has a lot of experience waking up those who may have been a bit lackadaisical in their faith. And he has a brand new book that calls us all to stand up to the many evils that are tearing at the fabric of our society. They're tearing at the traditions and teachings of our Catholic faith and at the very existence of God. So it's very fitting that his book has a picture of Jesus driving out the money changers from the temple. I've got a feeling he's not going to mince words with us tonight either. So please welcome the author of the book, you shall stand firm, preserving the faith in an age of apostasy. 
Please welcome Father William Casey. Father Casey, hey, Father good to have you. Great to see you again. You know, this title of yours sounds like something I remember reading in the Bible. Where'd you get this title mm -hmm. from? Stand firm. Uh, I chose this particular title because the words, you shall stand firm, was the divine imperative. It was God's command of the people of Israel in the Old Testament, mm -hmm. uh, commanding them to stand firm in the faith in the midst of the idolatry and the, uh, the immorality and the paganism going on all around them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in many ways we can say we're in much the same situation today. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah the, you know, the pagans worshipped um, various gods of nature. They were forces of nature that they wanted to make sure they could at least placate. Couldn't control, but you could at least placate them. And this was tempting for Israel. Mm -hmm. So, you know, to stand firm in the faith uh, is important command from God. Now, what do you see as the problem that you're trying to address? What's going on that makes you, you know, remind us of that verse in the Old Testament of us, yeah, you shall stand firm. What, what's going on? I think one of the main reasons that I wrote the book is that uh, in our travels around the country, and you know that the apostolate of the Fathers of Mercy is to preach parish missions and retreats uh, all over, um, and uh, so often uh, the, the good Catholics that we meet, we find, um, are in a situation where the morale is low. Mm -hmm. uh, I find in my travels that many of our people seem to be frustrated and confused and, and very often they're, they're angry about the things that they see happening, uh, not just in our country, but also in the church. Uh, and they're extremely concerned about the things that are happening in their own families. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Give, like, like what kind of things are you talking about? Um, I have spent the better part of the last 30 years on the road living out of my suitcase preaching the gospel and uh, uh, everywhere that we go today it seems uh, as though uh, uh, there is this great loss of faith, the great apostasy going on everywhere um, and it seems as though every Catholic family has been wounded in some way in this great abandonment of faith in our day. Mm -hmm. And it seems like every American family has been impacted by it in one way or another. For example, um, wounded by addiction in one form or another, uh, wounded by drugs. Uh, many and, people and are this, not. Uh, this, the drugs and addiction wounds are being exacerbated because now the drug dealers are sending fentanyl into our country. And it's not that you buy fentanyl, it's that they mix it with the marijuana and the other drugs to make it stronger. Mm -hmm. And this, and it's killed 100,000 people in a year. That's twice the mm -hmm. number of people who died in the Vietnam War. And how many people understand that? Yeah. So we see those, those families uh, wounded by drug abuse, wounded by alcohol abuse, wounded by sexual abuse. We see the families wounded by 
pornography, mm -hmm. uh, addictions to internet porn, poisoning souls and minds and marriages, uh, more with every passing day. We see the families wounded by infidelity, bad marriages, family breakup, and you know, all the emotional and psychological devastation that goes with that. Uh, the families that are wounded by suicides, crime, violence, atheism, whatever. And uh, most of our people would have the good sense to realize that we are living at the time of a very tragic and disastrous uh, collapse, spiritual and moral collapse that now threatens the very future and, in fact, the very life of this country. And anybody who doesn't believe that only has to look through the Old Testament, mm -hmm. uh, look through the Bible, look at the facts of history. They don't lie. Uh, so it seemed to me in writing the book and taking up this subject that uh, our people needed a, a morale boost. Um, you know, we want to present them with the reality of the situation that we're in, uh, how we got where we are today, but, but we have to present them with, with the hope that they need to go on and understand that God is still in command of his church. Hmm? I, I think that... We've we've seen the, the, this moral breakdown, breakdown of of families. So that it's not that even so many divorces, people are not getting married in the first place, and uh, so that more than half, just over fifty percent of all children are born to unmarried parents, mm -hmm. who are not committed. We see this uh, breakdown with drugs and et cetera. And now we're adding to it an, a series of economic crises, partly from the pandemic of COVID. But now with the, the problems in Europe, uh, with war in Ukraine and such, our gasoline is moving closer to $5 a gallon, and it could go up to 7 you know, mm -hmm. these, te these kind of, you know, economic tensions will devastate those who don't have the moral and spiritual fiber to say, okay, we're going to make our way through this. If they don't have that, these become overwhelming. And that's why we've seen lots more suicides, even among our young people. Mm-hmm. It seems like for many uh, families, uh, they seem to be uh, morally and financially in a full court press right now. And families are hurting. Uh, you know, another factor in this is that everywhere that we go, we meet the, the, uh, the parents and the grandparents who agonize endlessly over what has happened to their families and over mm -hmm. the fact that... Uh, uh, loved ones, sons and daughters and kids and grandkids have left the practice of the faith, they've left the church, and often are living very, very immoral lives. Mm -hmm. So it seems as though the family today is under a very intense and demonic attack from, from every level. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, what is it then? So we see this problem, and it's a, it's, it's a fairly widespread and serious set of problems. What are you suggesting in your book then? Mm -hmm. How do we counteract it? Uh, I have to say, 
in all honesty, that uh, I get very sick of hearing uh, Catholics and Christians in general say, there is nothing we can do. Hmm? Yeah. Uh, I always tell people, don't ever say there's nothing I can do. That statement is an implicit insult to God. It's a denial of God's power and God's grace. There is a lot that, that we can all do as we take part in this great spiritual battle of our time. Uh, for and example, I might just add as a little wisdom that I gained from my mother many, many years ago. Stop that whining or I'll give you something to whine about. <laughs> you know, the, you know we, we don't, there's no room for whining. Yeah. You have some very concrete things we can do mm -hmm. on the spiritual level and on the action level. Start off we with some of the spiritual We have got the most things. powerful spiritual weapons ever known to humanity at our disposal at all times, right? Yeah. I tell people, listen, you can pray, you can fast, you can offer spiritual sacrifices to God our Father in heaven, you can take part in Eucharistic adoration, you can pray the Holy Rosary, you can pray the Chaplet of the Divine Mercy, you can stand up and speak up and rise up in charity to defend the cause of Christ, the cause of truth. Mm. I think though, you know, given the pressure against standing up for Jesus Christ, for the church, for the sacraments. There's a lot of pressure against speaking up and a lot of pressure against speaking up for the existence of God and the goodness of God that comes from a wide variety of society, of society a lot of parts of society. What you do in your book is talk about how you have to have that spiritual base so that you have inner strength to stand up against the enemies of our faith. Yeah, this is so true. Um, you know, we have to acknowledge that this is a time in many ways of great crisis and corruption and confusion in the church. But there's the old saying that history repeats itself. Uh, for example, you could think of the, uh, the 13th century, right? At time in the history of the church, very much like our own. It was, of course, in the 13th century that God called St. Francis of Assisi to rebuild his church. Our Lord spoke to St. Francis and said, my church is in ruins, rebuild my church. Right? And now, he chose Francis as somebody who was living a very worldly life, whose father lived a very worldly life, was focused on wealth and prosperity only. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they went to church, gave their money and all that, but, but right. we got business. And it's from that kind of involvement in a lot of the sins mm -hmm. that they, they call yeah. Francis. Yeah, I like the, uh, the good people, the faithful Catholics who stood with St. Francis back in the 13th century. We can ask ourselves the question, how can we do our part? How do we help rebuild the church now? Well, the obvious answer is we start with ourselves. We do it by building and rebuilding our own spiritual lives. We do it by answering the call that God has given to each one of us to be men and women of faith, prayer, and devotion. Mm -hmm. Pope St. John Paul II used to say, uh, we must be Catholic Christian men and women who are not content with spiritual mediocrity. 
not satisfied just to be seen as like uh, okay. good people or nice yeah. people, right? That of itself, that's not going to get anybody to heaven. No. Right? That's not mm. good enough in God's sight. Mm. I've known lots of nice people in my time who are living very immoral lives. And for us, we know it's got to be more than that. It's got to go deeper than that because we're called to be a holy people. And, and I think when, when you, a couple things to keep in mind, it wasn't only St. Francis that was called from a worldly life. You had St. Dominic in that same century doing, you know, when bishops were working with nobility to go to war against a group of heretics known as the Cathari, the Dominicans sought interior holiness to preach the gospel to them and win them over. Mm-hmm. This is, you know, because sometimes in various parts of history, the bishops and priests were not doing, they were acting like the secular society and various saints rose up despite them and led the way to holiness through prayer and in the case of the Dominicans, profound study. Uh, I mentioned to you uh, earlier today that uh, when I was a newly ordained priest, my first pastor uh, was uh, a good old veteran priest of the Diocese of Owensboro, Kentucky, the late Father Benjamin Luther. And uh, old Ben Luther was a good church historian. He was a good theologian. But I remember he always said this. Uh, He said, any serious student of church history will be sure to tell you that the normative state of the church is turmoil, conflict, struggle, right? The church, the bride of Christ, will always follow her divine spouse along the way of the cross. But this is how God gives his faithful people the opportunity to practice heroic virtue, the virtues of the saints. And uh, it seems to me that history has proven time and time again that God always raises up the greatest saints in times of crisis in his church. In the present age, I think, will be no different. This is uh, the the situation that uh, we had in the 16th century. You know, it began with a, a series of pretty corrupt popes, you know, Alexander VI was the worst uh, as far as that corruption went. Julius II was no prize. Leo X, his cousin that took over after him, Clement, you know, these these were a mess. Mm -hmm. And it was in that society and time that you have the rise of the... um, uh, Capuchins, whose superior, founding superior left the church and became a Lutheran. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and then the, the founding uh-huh. of the Jesuits, St. Philip Neri starts the, uh, his, his own communities of priests. Um, that, you know, lots of these reformers came up. And again, we can't whine about how bad these other people are. That's not the way the saints did it. They weren't whiners, but well, they, they sought personal holiness and salvation of their own souls and the salvation of the souls of their neighbors. 
There is that uh, one verse from St. Paul uh, where he wrote, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Mm -hmm. Romans 5. Uh, you know, yes, we are uh, living in an age when the spiritual battle is intensifying. Uh, um, I sometimes think of uh, something that was written by St. Thomas Aquinas in his treatise on the virtue of fortitude. Uh, St. Thomas wrote that it is far more virtuous, far more meritorious in the sight of Almighty God uh, to persevere in the face of great opposition, to hold out against overwhelming odds arrayed against you to keep the faith mm, uh, than it is to spread the faith with great ease and success. Because in that is the experience of the cross, yeah. mm, the daily cross. And, and I think it's worthwhile to remember that with the passion of Christ, his suffering, all 12 of his newly ordained priests failed him. They, he ordained him on Holy Thursday and one betrays him with a kiss and 11 run away and the Pope denies even knowing him. This is not good. But on the other hand, you have his blessed mother, St. Mary Magdalene, his aunt, Mary the wife of Clopas. These are all present. And Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, they stay. And this is where we have to make a choice. Are we going to be like the apostles at the worst moment of their priesthood? Or are we going to be like Joseph Arimathea, Nicodemus, Mary Magdalene, Mary wife of Clopas, and especially Blessed Virgin Mary? That's the choice we have. Yes. History repeats itself. Uh, traveling around the country and uh, speaking to so many uh, faithful Catholics, um, some of the concerns that they raise um, are, for example, um, in regard to the scandals. That's mm -hmm. the biggest complaint we usually get. And then uh, another issue they usually raise uh, is one that used to be the biggest complaint, and that is that our people are sick and tired of lukewarm, watered-down Catholicism. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, the other great concern is what is happening within their own families. Right? So, yes, I mean, uh, history repeats itself. So, um, you know, I, I, I find that it, it's so very important in encouraging people to stand firm, stand fast. Um, they've got to hold tenaciously to the virtue of hope. Yeah. Right? Hope, uh, so very important, what sacred scripture calls the anchor of the soul. Mm, right? And uh, I try to give people as much encouragement as I can, and uh, I always say, remember, I read the end of the book and we win. Right? We know how this is going to end up, right? Mm -hmm. In spite of the trials and the... Uh, uh, the obstacles that are involved, uh, Jesus Christ is the victor in all this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think for us to remember that the whole Roman Empire tried to wipe out the church 
and the church converted the empire. The Nazis tried to wipe out the church and the church has survived them. The communists tried to wipe out the church. That video that we'll be showing this, this coming week about the, the Russians in uh, Ukraine persecuting the Catholics. They, you know, in, it, I think it's important to realize that in the last 100 years, 40 million Christians died for Jesus Christ out of 75 million martyrs in the whole history of the church. More than half of all martyrs died in the last hundred years. And they are going to be remembered much better than their persecutors, Adolf Hitler, Joseph Stalin, Mao Zedong, Pol Pot. None of them are going to be remembered well. This is something that we have to keep perspective for whatever little difficulties we might come up against. I remember the late Father Benedict Rochelle used to say <laughs> that uh, throughout history, um, the Catholic Church has always buried her undertakers. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> so, you know, the church is something more than just a human organization. It's right. a divine institution, and that is why no human power can ever destroy. The best that the world can do is give us optimism, which is a human approach. Jesus Christ gives us eternal hope that even if we die, we will have eternal life and see him face to face. And if you die a martyr, this is a good deal. You don't even have to go to purgatory. That this is, uh, that's why one of my friends uh, is a Muslim convert said, you know, I, they, they put a fatwa against me. Okay, so what? If I die a martyr, I don't even have to go to purgatory despite all my sins. <laughs> so this mm -hmm. is something that we, that's hope that God gives, not optimistic ideals that humans offer. Mm -hmm. And this is where our spiritual so life true. comes in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, you mentioned a lot of prayer. I think, you know, another element of, for this time is being able to answer the oftentimes superficial objections to the faith. You have a lot of, you know, these, these people are not very good historians or thinkers. And, you know, to, for us to trust that if we actually go into the history, we can come up with good responses to the various complaints about the church and mm -hmm. at the same time, admit the sins that are there. Mm -hmm. And we have good answers to their ideas about life and God and, and such. These are also things that we need to make sure we do. And we really can't emphasize this enough. Uh, we tell our people they have got to make every effort to know their faith. Yes. Right? To know the faith better, to, to love God more, to get closer to Christ. Because there's the old saying, you can't give what you haven't got. 
Uh, and so often now, you know, we meet the young people who are so badly catechized or not catechized at all that they seem to be disengaged from reality, you mm -hmm. know. Uh, disengaged from the things of God and the supernatural realities of life. Yeah. So uh, we got a lot of catching up to do right now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So there's plenty to do. So there's no reason to be bored. I don't know how people have time to be bored. There's a lot to do. You know, if you are interested to find out more about the Fathers of Mercy and their mission, um, you can just go to fathersofmercy.com. And for us, we are going to take a little break, come back in two minutes. And if you have some questions or comments you would like to make, we'd love to hear from you. So please stay with us. Right, we are talking to Father William Casey of the Fathers of Mercy and his new book, which is uh, You Shall Stand Firm, Preserving the Faith in an Age of Apostasy. Now, of course, this is available for a pre-order uh, at EWTNRC.com. You can pre-order that. It's not quite off the press, but when you get it, it'll be hot off the press. But it, you can get it at uh, a pre-order it at ewtnrc.com, where it is item number eight two four two two eight two four two two. But this age of apostasy has, you know, included uh, some. Very serious, and you brought this up before, very serious failures by priests who were engaged in uh, abuse of children, as well as neglect to get them to stop. Uh, those were, there were two sides. Um, it's something that affects almost 4% of the priests over the last, you know, basically from 1950 through early 2000s. Um, but this is part of the apostasy that you want to see yeah. changed. Because as I said before, it seems like uh, the issue with the scandals is the, the single biggest complaint that we get from the lay people that we meet around the country. But... I try to keep things in some perspective for them, and I try to approach the subject from the standpoint of church history, right? Mm -hmm. For example, okay, I say the spiritual descendants of Judas are alive and well among us today, mm -hmm. right? Our Lord chose 12 men to be his apostles. One of them was no good. And our Lord knew he was no good, and he chose them anyway. Yeah, I mean, mm -hmm. he says right? in John 6, uh, just, you know, a year a little over a year into the public ministry, that he knows that one of you is a devil. He says that mm -hmm. about Judas. But uh, I've thought about this a lot uh, since the uh, public scandals broke uh, 20 years ago. Uh, 
Of all the good and holy and devout saintly men our Lord could have chosen to be the twelfth apostle, why would he choose a traitor, a bum like Judas? It's not hard to figure out. Our Lord chose Judas to be for us an everlasting reminder that we will have to live with scandals in the church, right? Mm-hmm. Now, of course, God never took away Judas' free will. Judas freely, willingly chose to betray our Lord, and our Lord knew he would do it, and he chose him anyway. Mm-hmm. He said, scandals must inevitably come, but woe to that man by whom they come. Better for that man if he had never been born. Better for that man to have a millstone hung around his neck than to scandalize one of these little ones who believes in me. And the millstones that he's talking about are not the hand millstones that people would have in their homes. The word that they use there in particular is the kind of large, anywhere from a half ton to a ton of solid rock. You're not going to swim very far with that around your neck. Uh, Uh, But again, I think it's important that uh, we keep all this in perspective for, uh, for our people. Um, yes, uh, one case of sexual abuse is too many in the church. One bad priest is too many. One bad bishop is too many. But keep in mind, uh, of the roughly 50,000 priests in this country, 96% of them had nothing to do with these scandals or the cover-ups that followed from them. Mm-hmm. But we're not going to hear that from the secular media. No. Right? Because scandal sells. Fidelity doesn't sell. So the vast majority of the uh, faithful, hardworking priests, you know, the mass media would not give them the time of day. You don't even know they're alive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's for so, sure. Mm-hmm. I think, too, um, it was something of a warning. I, I was talking about this on radio today. Somebody had called in on my radio show. And uh, they wanted to know the information that is available about the much wider uh, sex abuse of children scandal that goes on in the public schools, where it, in, among Catholic priests it was 3% did abuse and about 1% were involved in not dealing with it, covering it up. Whereas in the public schools, it's 9.4% back in the 90s, and it's gone even higher percentage today. And that's not dealt with very much. Some, some, some cases that get public, but most it's not sought out. And I think in part, this is... Um, a failure to address a widespread issue in our society. This is not just an issue of the clergy. It's a very widespread problem. And other parts of society have it more widely than the clergy. That's, you know, a, a horrible reality. And it needs to be addressed at every stage because this abuse of children by teachers is as bad an effect on the kids as if it's by clergy. We have to address these issues. Also among doctors, psychologists, and others. All of them are, are, it's a problem, but it's used as a way to keep the church from speaking up too much. 
I think that's mm -hmm. one of the, uh, uh, whereas they don't have that same problem. Uh, certainly, uh, it is uh, a sex-saturated culture that we live in today, yes. and I believe that's one of the reasons why uh, pornography has now become, uh, spiritually speaking, America's most deadly addiction. Yeah. You know, I call addiction to internet porn the methamphetamine of the soul. Mm -hmm. It's the devil's most deadly weapon right now. Mm -hmm. and. Uh, uh, because this is the case, you know, it really takes a heroic effort, especially, I think, well, f for the men, to be able to put that virtue of chastity into practice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Again, the key word is heroic, right? And uh, our Lord said, the spirit is willing and the flesh is weak. And, uh, and the other thing uh, that we have to keep in mind is that it's not just about unchaste looking at other people that are not, you're not supposed to see. It's also something that entails human trafficking. A lot of the people involved in pornography are themselves sexual slaves who are drugged and unfree to get out of this pornography. Uh, this is a very real issue. The, uh, you're participating in human slavery as much as if you were buying cotton in the 1850s. Mm -hmm. That this is mm -hmm. something that is just a horrendous widespread, and it's also yeah. very much involved in the drug trade that was being, uh, that it's part of the same cartels. Uh, I have uh, a brother priest uh, who uh, is a canon lawyer, and he was working uh, at the diocesan marriage tribunal, and I remember him coming home from work at the end of a really rotten day, I mean a particularly exasperating day, depressed. Mm -hmm. And at supper, you know, we're sitting there and he's telling his brother priest what kind of a day he had. I, I, and I'll never forget him saying this. He said, you would not believe how many marriages are being broken up because of addiction to Internet porn. Yeah. Mm, but I think we the latest statistic is like 50% now of, of yeah. divorces involve some issue with pornography. Yeah. Uh, so it really is. It, it's pandemic yeah. at this point. Yeah. And, yeah. Well, look, we have a caller coming in. Uh, Thomas? Yes, hi, Father. Hi, where are you calling from? Uh, New Jersey. Wonderful. Thank you for calling in. What's your question me. or comment? Yeah, I, I love the work that you guys are doing. Thank you, Father, sir, for all you're doing. Um, just a quick uh, thing I want to talk about. So you mentioned the uh, scandals in the church, which is, which is very hard for uh, a lot of uh, fallen away Catholics to, uh, to accept that. I think the second biggest thing, too, is, is what I find, because I try to evangelize and everything myself, is that when you start talking to people who've uh, gone away from their parishes, it's always about the money situation, you know. Well, I left this parish because, you know, I was supposed to give X amount and I couldn't, so then I left. And then and then you see the Vatican worth, you know, $2.3 billion or whatever is going on in there. How do you combat something like that? And is there anything like that in your book? Sure. Um, you know, so just some suggestions that we can uh, tell, tell other people, I guess. All right, so here we have... Um, uh, you know, various reports 
about financial issues. Uh, for, to, to deal with the first one, in parishes, if they ask you for a certain amount and you can't give, does that mean you should leave the parish? Oh, no, not at all. Yeah, um, yeah. I, and do you I, I know mean, any pastors who say if you can't give enough, you have to leave? Oh, no, never, never. I've uh, never uh, heard I, that. And also, in regard to the fallen away Catholics and the people who have left uh, the church because of the scandals, I always say this, you don't leave Jesus for Judas, and you don't leave Peter for Judas. Right. Hmm? Yeah. So you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ and the truth of the gospel and the fullness of truth in our Catholic faith. But, this, but then this is second issue I think is important too, that mm -hmm. there are these different reports about uh, financial uh, uh, amounts of money that uh, the, the church has and things. How do we deal with, uh, with, with that? Mm -hmm. You know, there's an old saying, a very cynical old saying that I hate to even repeat, um, that the church operates on two things, grace and money, and not necessarily in that order. Mm -hmm. But I think uh, it's very clear that a lot of dioceses have really been um, crippled financially by mm -hmm. the legal damages stemming from the scandals as yes. well. Yes. Uh, maybe maybe um, God, through this means, is going to bring us back to the church's original poverty. Mm -hmm. Maybe that'll be a good thing. Who knows? But uh, one, one of the other things, too, Thomas, I, I check into this. But as I, I remember this was the case for some years past, I think it's still the case, that uh, Harvard University has a larger endowment than the amount of money that the Vatican has. That th there's a lot of money in the Vatican and the Vatican uh, is overall doing a lot mm -hmm. of uh, you know, charitable work around the world that costs money and for the vast majority of the use of that money, even secular organizations recommend that when you give money to the church, that this is something that gets to the people you intend to receive it. it the church has a much better record of uh, getting aid to folks that need the aid. So that's, that's another thing. But there are some scandals, usually involving individuals who uh, somehow get money. And I don't know all the different situations. There, there's, <coughs> I, there needs to be a, a lot more uh, you know, careful and open looking at the money situation. Uh, that because we had that big scandal of buildings being bought. Um, you know, I, I don't know where they got that from. And I don't think it was from the collections. This came from another source. Um, and that needs to be investigated. Uh, so I'm in favor, I'm strongly in favor of investigating that. And when we see these kind of things, we should make that demand that these, you know, that there is, uh, that the books are opened and researched because it's not right that 
there's buying of money. And where is this money coming from to buy property in London and other places? Find that out. Um, I, I think uh, the, the Cardinal from Australia, Cardinal Pell, was on to some of this stuff. And, um, you know, so this is an important thing to find out more about. And so say, tell people, I don't know why it is, but let's see what we can do to push for good investigation to get at the truth uh, so that there is no mismanagement. When it comes to the parishes, I think yeah. some people mistakenly assume that the average parish is rolling in dough, like they're no. well off financially. No. But I know for a fact from some of the pastors that I've spoken to, especially after the COVID lockdown, that um, Sunday mass attendance has been down maybe 25 to 30 percent. A lot of these parishes have taken a beating financially. Yes. So yes. don't assume that they're all rich. No. It's a mistake. No, no, no. At the parish level, that's not the case. You know, and in many of the dioceses, that's not the case. Some dioceses are really, you know, financially uh, hurting because they're small, like a lot of missionary dioceses here in the South and in the West. Um, they're not rolling in money. Um, so you have to make those distinctions about who has money and what's going on with it. Overall, overall, the money donated for the charities that the church does gets to the folks and with very low overhead. That's been our history. Um, any last words? We have just a couple of minutes left. Any last words in terms of, you know, I know that you recommend strongly get back to prayer. This is a good message for Lent. Mm -hmm. Use the rosary, the Vimercy Chaplet. Go make holy hours. Parishes will be starting Stations of the Cross. Get over to those and walk the way with Jesus. You know, that those would be some of the kinds of uh, uh, prayerful things we can do, as well as dealing with our, you know, understanding mm -hmm. where the scandals are, what's happened with them, and what do we do to get moving on understanding the faith? Anything else? In writing the book, uh, you know, one of the uh, one of the uh, difficulties involved for me uh, is this, and you've known me for for many years, yeah. and you know that uh, um, I can tend to be somewhat of a pessimist at times. So, in writing the book, of course, we want to present our people with a clear picture of of uh, what is happening. Uh, in the world and in the church, what the challenges are, what the reality of the situation that we are in really is, how we got where we are, what we need to do now, right? Um, but I don't want people to become discouraged or depressed, right, by the situation of the church and the world, right? I want to give people hope. As I say, if we are going to stand firm in the faith, we've got to cling tenaciously to the virtue of hope. Mm. Hope. I think, mm. you know, and Pope Benedict had written that wonderful and cyclical uh, in Hope You're Saved, you know, quoting from St. Paul in Romans 8, by Hope You're Saved, uh, Spes Salvi. 
And I think this is a very important element in our world. Too many people are committing suicide mm -hmm. because they mm -hmm. give up. We need that hope that comes from Christ. Mm -hmm. The last chapter of my book is entitled Confidence in God, right? Yes, we, that's we trust in God, you're right, the mysterious workings of divine providence in our lives. And and God is the victor in all this. And right? that's how we end the uh, a chapel of divine mercy. Jesus, I trust in you. Thank you very much for being Thanks for with us and writing that book. Join me in blessing everybody. May Almighty God bless you and keep you, cause His face to shine upon you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we can bring Father Bill and all the other guests that we have and all the other programs because the network is brought to you, to you by you. So please keep us in between your gas bill, electric bill, and cable bill, and we'll pay all of our bills too. Thank you and God bless.